Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. One of my first letdowns was like, after I did Punk, I did think, it was my first project, and I thought, I can't wait to see what happens. And it didn't really get much attention, and it kind of waned away. And I think that that, that was my first wake-up call to being like, oh, this happens often. A lot of things go on the air, and nothing comes from them. So strap in. <laughs> so I got used to that shit. I was like, that's just part of the fucking game. You know that, yeah. I think I had, a, I've had a lot of those little little things come and go and come and go and up and down and up and down and, you know, you just get used to that shit. And that, I think that all fuels your. I think all that compiled is like what makes you either good or disappear. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. You're in for a treat today because we got a great episode live from Montreal with actor, comedian, and all-around amazing talent, Andrew Santino. And before I get started, I want to let you know you can reach me at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter or on my website at BarryKatz.com or anywhere you can find my social media. Please subscribe wherever you are, whether it be the podcast or anything else. It helps and I really appreciate it. And as I look at Andrew Santino when we were in Montreal together, just an incredible story. A guy who (laughs) essentially was working a desk job in a reality television show, Pitt, and worked his way through it in writing and helping producing and everything he could do involved in the projects until he was involved in front of the camera. And then he worked hard 
and killed himself to do well in front of the camera and booked great jobs and then kept working also as a stand-up comedian and became one of Comedy Central's top 10 comics to watch and a headliner all over the country. This guy is the epitome of what it takes to start at the bottom, the lower bottom, the bottom of the bottom. I mean, is there anything tougher than going into an entry-level job when you have aspirations of working on the other side of the camera and just seeing everybody come in and getting what they want, making their dreams come true, and you're doing every Swiss Army knife job in the place that doesn't have anything to do with your career. It only has to do with toughening you up, getting your work ethic together, and really, really solidifying your formula and your blueprint of what it's going to take when you branch out into each lane of the business that you want to be in. And so I just want to let you know that if you want to get where you want to go, remember those things. Find a place to work that's the best place in your field. Get in there. Do anything you have to do to get where you need to go. Doesn't matter if you're mopping the bathroom or if you're getting somebody coffee. Just get in there. Make it happen. Pretend you're an actor playing the role of the greatest entry-level person that company has ever had in their existence. Play the part. Win an Academy Award for your role. And then take that level of power and force and perseverance and bring it forward to every other aspect of your career. And I can guarantee you, if you do that, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Andrew Santino has. When was your first time on stage? How did you muster up the courage? What was happening? My first time on actual stage was in college. Um, oddly enough, like I really wanted to get into stand-up when I was in college. I left Chicago. I went to Arizona State because I was trying to get to California. In high school, I, the whole time I was like, I got to get to LA because I want to do stand-up. And I didn't want to go to New York because in my head, I was like, it's too close to home. I want to get all the way out to LA. That's where you want to be, all the way out there. And in college... Um, my freshman year, this like creative writing uh, teacher had introduced me to this woman who was like directing plays. And she was like, I really want you to be in one of these plays. We're not affiliated with the school, but like it's on campus. And she's like, I, I, she, I guess she had talked to my creative writing teacher and said, she, he was really smart or he's talented. You could, he's got something. And she was like, I want you to be in these plays. And I was like, I don't want to do that shit. I was like, I'm not doing that shit. I don't do plays. I don't wear costumes and read other people's words. And she was like, well, why don't you come by? And this sounds like an 80s movie. I, of course, I come by and there was a girl there that I was like, I do plays now. 
<laughs> I was like, I guess I knew plays because, <laughs> you know, I, I, there was a chick that I was like, oh my God, she's so hot. And I would love to, you know, get to know her. And of course, how do you get to know her? I was like, I do a play. So I did this stupid play and then I did a bunch more and that got me comfortable to actually try to go to a mic. Like that was the first, that was like the real end going impetus. out with a girl. We ended up sleeping together. Yeah. We didn't go. I mean, we didn't go out anywhere. We went home. Uh, I did end up, it did work. Yeah. It all worked out for the best for me. But I hated plays too. I hate, I didn't want to do plays. I was like, this. I begrudgingly would go. But she was like, you're good. You're more talented than you think at being on stage. Because I knew I wanted to do stand-up, but I was so afraid to do it in college. And then that's when I started doing open mics like once a week, maybe. I would try. Because he was so, so scared, man. He was 19 years, 20 years old. And I was like, I just, all my shit was so bad. So you're like, I, I'm so scared. And back then I was in Tempe. The Tempe Improv was literally the only club. There was nothing else. It was Tempe Improv, and there was like... That was Dan Murr, who who's, who's now no longer with us. Who, and that was it. Otherwise, there was like small little coffee shops and rooms all over the city. But like now, there's like five clubs in Phoenix. Phoenix is like a booming comedy place. But back then, it wasn't like that. And back then, the Improv had one night a week that was a, was a local mic night, you know? So what happens? <laughs> you go... You sign up and you eat such shit that you <laughs> never go back after doing it one time. I never went back ever. I, 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 did, I did other rooms. I never went back to the improv. I was so scared. The only time I went back to the improv was to watch professionals. You said something earlier. You go to the play. Yeah. You look across the room. There's a beautiful girl. The most beautiful girl yeah. in the room by a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're a redheaded guy. Yes. Okay. So just go with me here. Okay. You're coming into an environment that you've never been in in your life. Yeah, never. Okay. Not only are you at the lowest level professionally, but technically speaking, in the scheme of the redheaded guy, you're outmatched by a girl who's a hundred times more beautiful than anybody there. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But if I'm a betting man, I think that when you walked in there, you said, I'm going to sleep with that girl. Uh-huh. And you made it happen. Yeah, I did. Probably much quicker than anyone would think it would happen. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Just stay with me here. Right. <laughs> so you go to the improv. Yeah. Again, you're in a venue where you're the lowest rung on the totem pole. For sure. The performance on stage is the metaphor of the woman at the play. Yet you are telling me you're kind of uncomfortable there. You're kind of a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. You're nervous. And you go up and you bomb and you never go back. (laughs) But yet with the girl, you know exactly what you're going to do you know how to do it you know if there's an objection how you're going to handle it right and even if you get rejected you're going back yeah you're going back until you sleep with that girl (laughs) yeah so why do you have the confidence personally at that level but on the other side you can't even go to an open mic and get one rejection you're like fuck it i'm not going back there again i'll go to the other places i'll right. sleep with some other girls right I, I that's what it was what is that about <laughs> i think that's a, i think that's a good window into the world of what stand up is like actually it's like you 
you have to keep wanting to try to sleep with that girl of stand up. You know, like stand up is a thing that's like it's you get rejected constantly so much by it over and over and over. And when I say rejected, it's not like someone's like, no, it's just like you you struggle with trying to make it happen so often and, and, and get yourself in a place where you're comfortable when you're young, when you're first starting out, that it really is kind of like a conquest. Like it's a conquest of like, I want to sleep with that girl, so I'm going to keep going. That's what stand-up as a whole is. The improv to me, going to that mic was so, it was just, it was just too intimidating. That was, for me, it was going there. It was like, I can't, I can't get done what I need to get done here. It's not going to work. But that girl for any guy would be intimidating. Sure. More intimidating than a fucking open mic night doing five minutes in front of people you don't know. But I was blind. I'm, bl- I'm blind to that stuff. I, I, I've always had an air of confidence that I probably never deserved. Like, I've always been like, I can do that. I can get it done. Like, the, like just like stand up, you know, uh, without any semblance of humility, I knew I was going to be a, a stand up. I knew I was going to be a professional stand up. There was no doubt. No, you were going to be successful. Uh, you probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd lie if I told you no. If I'm trying to be like cute, I'd be like, no, no, no. Yeah, I thought I, I just was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do very well. I knew I was gonna do very well in stand up, not only because I, I knew I was just gonna bust my fucking ass, but when I started in L.A. and I was surrounded by the people that were working with me around L.A., I slowly started to feel that I, like, I felt that I was better than a lot of people around me. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I do better than more people around me, and that continued, and that continues, and that continues, and so you start to see your peers rise up who are those who are just as good or, or better than you and those and the other people start to fall off you know it's kind of like you know shaking for gold it's like you start to f- you start to see a lot of the sand fall away you're like oh i'm stronger than these people on this show and i started to feel like i knew most shows that i would go to that i was open micing at i was stronger than 90% of the people there's one or two other people on the show who were as good or better than me and that continues and you keep working hard until you rise up but yeah i'd be a liar if i told you i didn't think i was going to be successful i knew i had the drive, I knew I had the ability. I just needed to cultivate it and I needed to like work on it, you know? But I think most people could see that early on. You can see early on who's going to keep doing it and who's going to do well at it. And you can, you can see who kind of people are halfway in, halfway out, and they're not, and they're really not that, they're really not, they don't really have that thing, you know? To me, one of the most exciting moments of stand-up is when you're seeing somebody a lot of nights who there's something there. There's really something there. Either they have the great personality and the point of view, but they don't have the performance down. Right, right, right. right. Or they have the performance down, but they don't have the point of view. Mm -hmm. Or else they have incredible material, but literally they have nothing. Yeah, there's nothing else there. (laughs) On stage. Yeah. And... There's this amazing moment that happens sometimes when you're in a club where you're witnessing that person kill for the first time. Something happens in that one performance where they put it all together and they have the best set of the night that night. Mm -hmm. And you're like, holy shit, I think they may have arrived. Right. And for you, when was that moment? Do you remember it? Um... It's funny because I remember when I, so I got passed at the comedy store by Tommy when Tommy was still there. And I think my, my set to be passed was one of the strongest sets I've ever had in my life. My showcase set. 
How much time did you get back then? Uh, I think those showcases are, well, I think they were like, I want to say they were eight minutes or 10 minutes. I think they were 10. And in those showcases back then with Tommy, the manager of the comedy store, was there... Maybe they were five, by the way. Maybe was been was it always a certain spot on a certain night on the show that that was what everybody had the same opportunity? Yeah, well, Friends and Family, which still exists, you know, the open mic at the Comedy Store, you, they do the mic and they do a thing called Friends and Family, which is comics who are technically still open micers, but you've got kind of one leg up. You're you're getting development spots. So you become like friends and family. That's uh, not the potluck on Monday. That's It is. It's afterwards. Yeah, afterwards, it's like now it's called like employees or friends and families. Yeah, I was or just there on Monday yeah. and they had it afterward. 25 comics mm-hmm. doing eight minutes mm-hmm. starting at 1030. Yeah. Yeah. That that open mic at that club is is a testament to the strength of a comic. You really have to get through that shit because it's probably one of the hardest. One of the hardest things, as I saw, is there's this point in the night where in the second half of the show where it's around 11, 11.30, a comic gets off, does his set, and then 27 people stand up and they walk out and yeah. now the next guy is, yes. or girl's going on. That's the, that's the, ele- and, it's around the 11 o'clock spot. That's and then they go on and then eight more people get up mm-hmm. and then at each time a person finishes, there's actually manners to a crowd, believe it or not. They don't get up in the middle of somebody's act. No, they're good. But by the time the 10th person or 12th or 13th person gets up, there's your hardcore group of maybe 21 people there yep. in the crowd scattered around. And then by the time the last person goes on, there might be seven. Yeah. Sometimes if you're, <laughs> if it's a lucky night, there's like 10, 10, there's double digits. Yeah. But for the most part, that crux of like 11, uh, between 11 and 1130 is when things start to change in that club. And that's some of the toughest spots. So your moment, my moment Doing my audition Tommy. development spot for and Tommy. And you crushed and then you knew in your heart. I just knew, I just knew that I was u- uber prepared. I was overtly prepared to do that spot to showcase. And like, there wasn't a doubt in my fucking mind that I was going to get it. Like I was like, there's no way if I just deliver what I've always been delivering on this set that I've got, there's no way that I'm not going to be a regular at this club. Like I, it's undeniable. Like I, I had, I had, I'd been working and working and working towards it so much that when I got on stage and you told my fir- I told my first joke and it did really well, it was just like this weight off my shoulders. And the rest was the rest was in cruise control. Like I just knew soon let me get the first laugh and then I'll feel comfortable. And I knew I just knew I was like, I just knew. And then, you know, the next day when they tell you that, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get passed, it was just this big relief. It was just like I had worked so hard to be at that club. And then I'll tell you, the most important moment is when you get your first 15 minute spot, preparing for that is fucking hard. When people go do their first 15 minute spot in that room after you get past, it's it's threatening because you're like, well, I'm in the club, but w- they could kick me out of the club. So it's just like high school going to college, right? Like you you know, a small fish in a big pond as a freshman, then as a senior, you're a big fish in a small pond. Then you go to college and it's like freshman year, you're a little bitch again. That's exactly what it felt like. It's like you're the big dog of the micers and you get passed. But then once you get in, it's like, dude, you're at the bottom, bottom, bottom. Now you have to almost start all over again in a new world, which is, I think that's, that's why 
that's why you either you either really do well in this game or you disappear because it, it's a testament to strength of like your character can you get through that because i gotta tell you when you get passed into that club and you have to start in those shittiest spots they're really hard they're really hard there's not a lot of people there they're not really laughing you're at the end of the night it, it, the vibe is not great and like I feel like that could easily scare you away and be like fuck this I don't want to do that. I have to go all the way up again I just climbed up this hill you know what's the guy who pushed the fucking rock up the hill Sisyphus. Sisyphus Sisyphus yeah it's the same thing that's like that's like a comics plight it's like every every time you push the rock at the top of the hill there's a brand new hill that's every time so you just gotta enjoy pushing the rock hey everybody I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. 
Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Do it. I want you to tell me what comes to your mind. Okay. Adam Devine. I love Adam Devine. Uh, what, what comes to mind? Um, uh, the, the night at the improv that he introduced me to Blake, uh, Blake Anderson, who, who, who is a great uh, comedic actor who is on his workaholic show. And he introduced me that night and he goes, Blake is a really funny, talented um, comic. Wait till you see him on this show that we're going to do. And that show ended up being fucking workaholics. That was the night that uh, Comedy Central went forward with them, I guess. But I remember that. I, I could see that etched out of my brain like it was yesterday. We were sitting in the improv bar and he introduced me to this curly haired, goofy dude and who would later become a, a buddy. But he was like, you're, he's like, you're going to love this guy. Wait till you see what he does on this TV show that we're going to do. I was like, oh, that's cool. You guys doing a little a TV show? <laughs> what is, what's this little TV show? And it became one of Comedy Central's, you know, biggest shows in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, whatever. So Adam Devine, that's what I think about. I love that fucking dude. I'm glad, I'm so happy for his success. He's a guy that deserved it, who wasn't a piece of shit, who I could still call and, and be friends with, you know? So he's a, he's a good egg. James Franco. James Franco. Uh, Franco I met through, uh, what's the first thing that comes to my mind with Franco is uh, sitting in um, Sofia Coppola's house and him writing or pitching this crazy indie movie to me and being like, we were pitching and pitching and pitching. And then we kept piling ideas on the story. And then he was like, so what do you think? I was like, I think that's really good. He goes, you should write it. And I was like, I, I didn't think that I was going to write this. I thought you wanted me to come for ideas. And he was like, no, I want you to write this fucking thing. And it was right before they did the disaster artist, which is a movie that Franco did the room. And they, threw me in there but I, I think I have literally zero lines it's very funny I think I got I think I'm, I'm verbally cut out of the whole thing but my big face is in it but Franco that uh, that's the first thing I think of was sitting there and Franco basically pitching me a movie to write and I had no intention on writing the fucking movie I was like I don't want to write that movie but yeah he's an eclectic dude man he's a funny cool eclectic dude I like that guy Seth MacFarlane um first thing that comes to mind is uh, seeing him with three of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life at Dominic's, at the old restaurant Dominic's used to be behind the hospital. I used to love that place. And I saw him at the bar. And uh, he had three he had three unbelievably beautiful girls. And I just remember sitting there at the bar staring at that dude. And I was like, family guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> family guy gets you all that, huh? It was great. Uh, he's, that dude's brilliant, man. I think he's incredible. I think he created like the, the funniest, the funniest family cartoon other than The Simpsons that I've ever seen. It's remarkable. My my wife loves Family Guy so much that when I'm on the road, she watches it and she she um, just lets all the episodes loop, you know. And so she's seen episode every episode like a thousand times because it's like comforting humor to her. My sons have watched every single episode like a thousand times. I mean, it used to be on in my house every time I would come home because she would just put it on in the background. She likes uh, hu humor comfort. You know, some people put on like people have TV background noise. She likes Family Guy in the background all the time. Melissa Leo. Melissa Leo is uh, the uh, the strong matriarch of the show that we did. What, 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 what's my first thought of Melissa Leo? My first, the first thing you th I think of when you say Melissa Leo is uh, 
this she pulled up to the set of I'm Dying Up Here, the Showtime show that we did together, in a um, a camper, a tra- like a what do they call like a trailer, a, a camper, and she had. To my knowledge, she was she wanted she wanted her own little camper on set. I said in one of those like trailers, and she had brought her own to like live and stay in, and it said everything I needed to know about what kind of person she was. Like she wasn't demanding in the fact she was like I don't I want my Will Smith trailer. It was about her wanting the comforts of home because she works a lot, and I I I, I started to understand actors a little bit more because of that show. I know you know like I had done sitcoms, but. That show was a lot of dramatic actors, people that have done a lot of like what I call acting acting, you know? It's like, damn, they're really in it, you know? Because when you do comedy, you're like, oh, you're doing you. But that I saw I saw a new side of dramatic actors. And Melissa, she's eclectic as fuck. She's wonderful. Yeah. Ashton Kutcher. First thing I think of is uh, uh, Ashton and I got into an argument one time. <laughs> I was talking shit about college football and I grew up in Chicago and you either love Notre Dame or you hate Notre Dame and I hated Notre Dame as a kid. And uh, I was talking shit to one of the interns about Notre Dame and uh, Ashton poked his head up like out of the corner and was like, watch what you say about Notre Dame. I was like, you went to Iowa. (laughs) Why do you care? He was like, because I support the Irish. I'm like, dude, I'm Irish. My, I look like Ireland. Look at my face. I have the map of Ireland on my face. <laughs> I go, I support the Irish too. I go, I just, oh, I hate their football team. That's all. That's the first thing I remember. Ash and I get into a fight when we barely knew each other. I just started working at that studio. And he, I think he just wanted to uh, big man me a little bit. Cause he was like, you know, you're low here. And also I used to steal a lot from Ashton. That's another thing I remember is I was so broke. And Ashton would get all this swag, you know, like shoe companies and clothing and jeans. And they had a closet. His assistant had a closet filled with shit. And, you know, I think he was cool. He didn't care if people took it, but I took a lot of that shit. (laughs) I was like, I'm getting new jeans, new shoes. Every week when something came in, I was like, let me see it before he gets to it. Because he didn't need that. He didn't need that shit. I was poor, you know. He had had five houses, you know, this guy. So, yeah, I stole from him (laughs) often. Your first acting break in show business. Um, that's kind of that. I mean, you know, like, even though Punk was unscripted, that was kind of, that was my first, like, on-camera thing. Uh, but my first, like, my first, like, break thing or thing that got me quit my day job was an MSN show, hosting an MSN update show called Big on the Web. It was called The Surf Report as well. It changed. But it was an, it was an online show about like what's going on in pop culture on the internet. That was the first job I ever got on, on physically on camera. And literally right after that is when I met Jason. But I was doing it from a little tiny studio in Hollywood um, off Colfax. And uh, yeah, I was shooting this like bullshit my MSN show. And the beauty of this MSN show was the numbers we would get sometimes, like they would tell us like three and a half million people saw it. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy, right? But I also learned it was because MSN was the homepage for all Microsoft computers. So a lot of old people don't know how to change their fucking homepage. So they would open up their internet browser and it'd be my dumb face. So it's almost like they had to watch me. <laughs> so we forced the numbers, but it was great, man. But I, that was my first thing. And then my first sitcom was um, this show called Mixology that I did on ABC. Um, but I had done The Office. I did an episode of The Office that Allison Jones put me in. Um, 
and then a ton of I had a ton of little small things. But this Mixology is my first actual sitcom where I was like a, a regular. Larry Charles directed that pilot. Who's wow. the Who's the fucking man? If people don't know Larry Charles, you should look him up. He's a genius. He is he did Borat. Uh, he also has another show out. That's he's phenomenal. He knew comedy. Like he was the first guy I ever worked with that got comedy. Where like any other directors that I had ever like met, you know, it was like, I don't know, you're hesitant. But with him, he was like, fuck that, do that. I was like, what if I say this? He's like, do that shit. He was the coolest, man. He was the first dude to be like, say that shit. We can cut it. Say that dumb shit. Say that bad joke. We can cut it. He was so big on trying. He was like, try it. Um, and then I will say this. The one other thing is I, I, almost, I almost had a pilot go. Not go. We did a pilot. I shot a pilot. It was a CBS. I think it was Ben Silverman's production company, but it was like a hybrid. It was like half scripted. Um, and, and this was insane. Listen to this cast. This is crazy. It was, it was at a restaurant way north in the valley of Los Angeles, and it was real customers, but it was, we were scripted people. Like it was almost like the office taking place at a restaurant, you know, because that behind the scenes camera thing. Um, it was me, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Asif Ali, uh, Nicole Payon, um, Stephen Garino, um, Great. Brad Morris. I mean, it was like stat, like hilarious, phenomenal people. Um, Tony Baker. I mean, looking back on it, I remember because, you know, I'd known Tiffany Haddish for a long time and her and I were having so much fun on that fucking show. And now looking back on it, I was like, man, almost everybody on that show is doing extremely well. It's really, it was really weird because back then, no, and, and everyone was a nobody. Everyone was a nobody. They probably got us for a, a hundred bucks a day. You know, like whatever it was, they were like, we can scrounge together these great improvers and sketch and standups and see what kind of magic unfolds. And God damn, it was funny. It was so funny to me. It, I mean, I, I can't, I can't believe, I know why CBS didn't want to do it, but that was my first like shot at a thing that was original, I guess. That CBS show. I don't even remember what it was called. Right This Way. Something like that. But yeah. Seth Rogen. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, Zelda. His dog, Zelda. Um, Seth is in... Seth. Seth. The first thing that comes to mind with Seth is... Uh, um, God, that's so hard. I think like 50 different things. and Some of them I'm probably not allowed to say. <laughs> Seth... Seth, uh, Seth is a dynamic artist who's good at too many things. I'll say that he's good at too many things. He's incredible. He's great acting. He's a great writer. He's a great producer. He's a good. He's just got a great mind. I've worked with them a few times, Seth and Seth and Evan, and uh, he's, they're just they're exactly what they're supposed to be. If no other words I could describe, they're exactly what they're supposed to be: creators, producers, cultivators of talent. They're phenomenal, man. Those guys fucking hit so many home runs. It's creepy. You know what I mean? They're they're like they're like the ba they're like the they're like the years of baseball when everybody was on steroids. That's what I feel like Seth and Evan are. It's like everything they fucking hit is like that's out of the park, man. You know, like every time they take the swing, you're like, there's no way that's not gonna go out. They're phenomenal. Yeah. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, 
or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Open a vein. Open a vein. Um, and say... Huh. Do you remember that? I just remember this line in the show where... Well, I know, what is it? In other words, it was like, have some balls, get up there, reveal your Yes, show. open a... Oh, yeah, but what, I, what is the rest of it? It was like, open a vein and something. That's what I, I can't remember. Oh, I can't but remember. It just, it just stuck with me. I think it was uh, Clay that said that. I think that was, I think that was uh, Sebastian that said that, I think, on the show. Yeah, open a vein, that show... That show opened my veins for sure. That, that brought me a new, a new dynamic in the acting world that I've never experienced before. It brought me a lot of darkness too, I'm not going to lie. It was hard playing an asshole and a loser. That was tough. I took that shit home for sure. There are many a nights when you play a loser for 12 hours a day who gets beat up. It's hard to not take that shit home. I don't give a fuck who you are. You take that home. But in the show, what's odd about it, is, and this is the two trains coming in different directions, we have a big shot there. Yeah, at the club. But you are an asshole, so you're a loser in the sense that guys keep coming in and they've done like the Tonight Show and they right. keep passing you and you're there, but you're the king shit there. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Those guys still exist, by the way. There's guys that are like king shits at the club that like they can't, ha there's no ascension for them because they get in their own way. That was my character on that show. That was his biggest gripe is he got in his own way. He got he constantly would get in his own way and a lot of us get in our own way. So I like to say don't complicate winning. Yeah, don't. Why? Just let it happen. Don't get in your own fucking way. So many people get in their own way. And that was, that's hard. That's hard to play somebody that gets in their own way because you get frustrated. It comes to life sometimes, you know? Jim Carrey. J James Carrey. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, him saying nothing matters <laughs> to that press, that press conference. It was just like, nothing matters. Who cares? The universe is here and gone and we're all just floating around. Him mocking, him mocking... Uh, our bit, the business is very funny to me. Jim was a, my boss. Jim was a mentor. Jim was like my comedic hero. I can't, I don't know. I, there's a million things to say about Jim. Being able to work with my literal comedic hero was one of the craziest things in the world. And to, to know that he thought I was funny. I don't know. I could die a pretty happy man. There's a couple of moments in comedy that have really made me like go, holy fucking shit. Jim Carrey telling me that I'm very funny. Um, making Julia Dreyfus laugh in the room, making her crack. That was one of the most, I'll never, ever forget that day in my life. That was one of the happiest days of my fucking life. And making Larry David break. Making Larry David break was like, I could have fucking gotten into a car accident and died and been like, make sure they say, on my way out, the paramedic's like, any last words? I'm like, D -d -d make them, make, let them know I made Larry David break. Because <laughs> it was fucking, it, it, it brought me so much joy.
So yeah, those three moments, Jim, Jim kind of acknowledging my abilities, making Julia Dreyfus crack and making Larry David crack were like three moments of my comedy career where I was like, fuck me, man. I could, I wish I could sit in those things for the rest of my life. Like sit in that feeling, whatever that was, you know, Steve Carell. Um, God, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, uh, like literally when you just said his name for some reason, it was Little Miss Sunshine. Because because that was the, that was the first time I saw him as not Steve Carell from The Office, uh, or you know, or any comedy movie, and and watched him do something so. Oh no, not Little Miss Sunshine. What's wrong with me? That's oh my god. No, I'm 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 thinking of. Uh, oh my god, why did I say that? Not Little Miss Sunshine. What's the other? What's that movie that he did? Why can't I think of that shit? Where he's that asshole stepdad. Fuck, I can't think of it. Steve Steve Carell though is um, to me exactly what Ricky Gervais had in mind for for David Brent for Michael Scott like when I think about Steve Carell I'm like that guy that guy's literally who Ricky Gervais thought when he wrote that character in my opinion like he's like he's a literal perfect I mean Ricky was phenomenal at it but it was like yeah Steve's so goddamn good he's so talented that it's it's on it's like uh it's unfortunate I don't I we don't get more, even more of him because I think he's so he's Dan in real life comedy god yeah Dan in real life yes yes I loved him in that shit I loved him in that shit I always like to see comics do things like that like a little bit off the off you know a little bit off from what they normally do Will Ferrell did a movie called Everything Must Go did you ever see that no it was, it was phenomenal it was sad he was like an alcoholic who got a divorce who had like who lived on his lawn it was really sad and funny man I like those movies that most people are like, eh, it was okay. I'm like, Adam oh, Sandler, Punch Drunk Love. Amazing. Phenomenal. I think he's, uh, you know. Ben Stiller, Permanent Midnight. So good. I love it when you're just off a little bit as a comic from what we're used to. The late Brody Stevens. Oh, man. Uh, what comes to mind first is like the hallways of the comedy store and uh, him, you know. Him, him always having something not he didn't he he would often not try to be funny but it was very funny just because his cadence and his nature was so fucking beautiful and we both he knew I went to Arizona State when we first met he liked me because he knew I was from Chicago and I loved Brody before I knew him and I was like I was a fan and when I when he met I I did that thing where you're trying to you're clearly trying to like get in good with them and I was like I'm from Chicago I'm a Cubs fan and I went to Arizona State and because I knew that he was a diehard Cubs fan loved Chicago Cubs and the organization shows their love for him big time um, and and I told him Arizona State and he was so interested in me then I was like you know what I mean like before then you're just a comedian that maybe he's seen you do well but he used to yell at me in the hallway he'd, he'd be like Santino Arizona State <laughs> and it would make me laugh because it was across the hall it was so unnecessary to mention our college you know or, or he would mention a, a Chicago Cubs ball player like he would yell out a name you know he would that's he's like <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd be like Santino 23 Sandberg and he would just name like a stat a random stat or something for no reason uh, or there was a reason I don't know whatever was in Brody's head he was fucking he was uh, this is a mean joke, but it's it's very much my kind of humor. I called I called Adam Egget when Adam I Adam Egget is the, the person who now runs manages the, the comedy, comedy store. store. Yeah, and I called Egget 
and I was in Mammoth Mountain skiing, snowboarding, and uh, I called Adam Egan, and I was like, man, this is so fucked up. I can't believe this shit, and we were both getting emotional, and I wasn't, it didn't feel real, and there was like a long like pause, and then I remember saying, so many other people could have died, and I wouldn't have cared, <laughs> but I was so bummed about Brody, and he laughed. We laughed a little bit, because I was like, God, so many other comics could have killed themselves, and I would have been okay with it, but not that guy. I love that guy. Yeah, because it was just so fucked up and shocking. But um, my best memory of that dude will be uh, going into the main room late at night when I've had a couple of soda pops and maybe a half a joint with someone outside and watching him play the drums on a chair at like 1 a.m. Nothing. I don't think anything will ever take those fun memories away. Like those were, that was some of the most fun nights of my life. I would just sit there and watch him and laugh play the drums on a fucking chair for like 10 minutes and not do a joke but it was let's pretend mm. let's suspend disbelief as you say or whatever however you say it and i can bring him back for one question and the question i would ask him is could the comedy community have saved you what would he say? Hmm. He probably... I don't know. I, Bro, Brody would have probably said something about being positive, which was the irony of that dude. It's like he always talked about like positive. They weren't positive enough or because it was like he was always fighting this battle against people's negativity or so he or so he thought I don't think he knew how much people loved that guy people loved him I know it's hard because the game is so fucking hard but he was beyond beloved it was like I don't know he, he'll be etched into our community forever as this you know this symbol of of heartbreak because fucking he was so goddamn fun and funny. And if I had one question to ask the dude, I would have said, what did you really want to have happen in comedy? That's what I would have said. What do you, what do you, what do you, what did you re what do you really want? Cause I don't think any of us really know. And sometimes when we, when we really get lost, that's when negativity creeps in like that. But what did you really want? Cause he, he was so fucking, he was loved. He did well. You know, more is usually the answer, but I wish I knew what he really wanted. Like, what is it that you really wanted? Because from the outside, a lot of people would think he's fucking doing all the things that you want to do. And so, and I think that happens a lot in our business. So I would say, what did you really want? And I'll tell you, I would really want him to stick, a, stick around. <laughs> That's what I would have wanted. Would have been cooler. Me too. Your proudest moment in show business? Probably, probably, probably going through my mom's iPhone. Um, I went through my mom's phone for something and I saw that she had had my album, my first album that I did on her iTunes. And I was like, why do you have my first comedy album on, on your iTunes? Like download it on your iTunes. And she was like, I listen to it all the time in the car. She's like, I love it. And then she started naming me bits. And I was like, 
I don't know. I, like I knew my parents love that supported me and like I knew my, my parents didn't think I'm funny. But it's a different relationship with your parents. They're like, we're proud of you. We love you. We're happy. But you don't know if they like your comedy. But to know that my mom liked my comedy was like, that was, I think that was, it. that was my most proud moment. To know that she listened to my shit. I was like, wow, you listen to my shit? And she told me one of my jokes. I was like, you fucking listen to my jokes? Yeah. It was wild. Wow. So yeah, that was it. That was my proudest moment, I think. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how it fueled you to get to the next level. God, there's been a lot of disappointments. My biggest disappointment in show business. Um, fuck, man. That's hard. I think I just have a lot of hits that sucked. There's a lot of hits that sucked. That like took me down a peg, so to speak. You know? Like uh, when you test for a show or a movie and it's your fifth time. And you, and you don't get it. Five times testing for the well, same... Well, five times reading for somebody. For the same project, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That shit fucking hurts. <laughs> that shit is like, what do you want from me? <laughs> That's what you want to say. You want to go in there, you know, like 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 Morgan Freeman in that scene in Shawshank, you know, and he's like, just sign your paper, sonny. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. He's so tired of playing the game. That's what you feel like at the end. You're like, what the fuck do you... Sign your fucking paper. What do you want? I don't care. I'm locked up already. Like fucking kill me already. I've had so many of those. I mean, I, I don't know. It's I know I'm not doing it justice. I, it's hard to answer just one. That was my biggest disappointment, but I think, uh, not my biggest, but one of my first letdowns was like, after I did punk, I did think it was my first project. And I thought, I can't wait to see what happens from this. And it didn't really get much attention and it kind of waned away. And I think that, that that was my first wake up call to being like, Oh, this happens often. A lot of things go on the air and nothing comes from them. So strap in. (laughs) So I got used to that shit of like, that's just part of the fucking game. You know that? Yeah. I think I had, I've had a lot of those little, little things come and go and come and go and up and down and up and down. And you know, you just get used to that shit. And that, I think that all fuels your, I think all that compiled is like what makes you either good or disappear. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person who's growing up in a, maybe not the most desirable situation in the world, a lot of transition, a lot of changes, a lot of things going on that are in their control. And how do you figure out a way to navigate and get to the point where you are and have the kind of, amazing career that you're having my mother says things that annoy me sometimes she annoys the shit out of me when like because my mom like i said she's not cold but she's just firm and she always says um she always says like it's gonna be fine and i hate that phrase i hate it's gonna be fine i hate it it's an annoying phrase but i would grow to learn why she said it all the time because she said it's gonna be fine whenever i express like discontent or upset or anger or I'm scared or I'm afraid I'm not going to pay rent or like all these things because she knew I was strong enough as a person to hear it and to let it move me to to, to try harder and do better. Like it's going to be fine not saying like don't worry about it saying like it will be fine. You just have to get through it. Like it will be but you can't stop. Like you have to keep going. Not saying like don't worry about anything. It's saying this is exactly what is supposed to happen and and it will be fine, but you have to get there because you, you just can't give up. 
And I think that was, that was everything for me. It was like, well, I got to fucking, I got to get through this. It's, it's going to be fine, but I have to get through it. Whatever negativity you're like, there's no way I'll ever live through this shit. You will, and it will be fine, but you just have to get through it. And I think that's like with everything in life. It's like, you just have to get through it sometimes. Sometimes you have to fucking just get through the thing to push through to get to the next thing. And I think the most important thing that I've learned from all of that stuff that I would say to people is like, there is no, there, there is no, um, there's no one else that can make you be who you are going to become other than you. There's no one else is going to help you get to where you really need to go other than you finding your way there. Like you have to get yourself there. People can help you in your career and whatever career you're choosing, like people can support you, but you have to find out how to get there on your own. That's the only way to be successful. Just be like, what's, what is it to me? What do I need to get to, to make me feel like I'm moving in these right directions and, and achieving my personal goals? It's all about you. You're the only one that's going to get you there. People can help, but you you have to fucking get it there. Andrew Santino, this was worth the wait, my friend. Yeah, it was fun. You are amazing. Thank you, brother. I'm glad I came up here. This is wonderful. You went really deep. I, I did. We dug. We went all the way down. And I and and uh, I didn't think that was going to happen. When I saw two other men in here, I thought it was I thought it was just going to be me and you. Well, you thought we were going to go deep in another way. Yeah, I thought it was going to be without clothes. I told you that. I, I did I did get a little excited. I put on a little bit of spritz. So I was like, maybe he'll smell me. I'll smell nice. But he got these guys in here. It's like, fuck, I can't get naked in front of these guys. But it was awesome, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Really, you're incredible. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message. And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on JG17X, April 3rd, 2019. Heading reads, perfect podcast, five stars. And the comment reads, couldn't be any better. All right, a short but sweet one. Thank you so much, JG17X. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKilledJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. 
and the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Angela Johnson. No one has your life. You are the only you. You are the only person that can do the things that you can do. So do you and do you well. Do you to the best of your ability because when you get there, when you get to that door, when you get to that opportunity where you say, oh, I think I want to do this, you've already been operating at your best. You've already been operating at a level of confidence of I'm me. No one else is me. I have a lot to offer. And then when you walk in the door, people see it. They see that you don't need them and they discover they need you. But that comes when you know who you are and you just do you and do you well. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car, all the people love you. You're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.